John chapter 15, the theme of what Jesus is speaking to his disciples is viability. What it means to be viable in Christ. Much of what he has said has centered on the paradigm of the vine and the branches. He has expanded that in other ways. We come this evening to another perspective in which Jesus looks at our viability in him. We're looking especially at verses 18 to 21 in a study that we've entitled, Like Master, Like Servant, The Persecution Paradigm. Beginning with verse 17, Jesus said, This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If there were a thesis that we could write for this passage and our study this evening, I think it would be this. The most profound manifestation of love, eternal, infinite, and selfless in nature and efficacy, has nevertheless provoked the most intense and perpetual animosity and retaliation. It was true in the, in the time of the apostles. It is true in many parts of the world today. The most profound manifestation of love, eternal, infinite, and selfless in nature and efficacy, has nevertheless provoked the most intense and perpetual animosity and retaliation. Let's begin with verse 17. It was the focus of our study last week. We considered whether it was simply a transition from what Jesus was saying to what he is going to be saying and determined that there was a lot more substance to it. But it is a transition verse nonetheless. And it is the heart of everything. This is my command, love each other. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In John's second letter, verse 6, he wrote, And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. 
many of the apostles speak about the love of Christ and the command and emphasis that we, his followers, should live lives of love. But no other apostolic teaching so resonates the words of Jesus spoken this last evening than those words of the Apostle John. John's words are deeply theological, deeply important for us understanding who God is. And so theologically, John teaches us that God is the personification and the definition of love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. God is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. John teaches us that those who exemplify his love do so by obeying his command. Especially the command to love. And that is proof that he lives in them. That his life dwells within them. That his life is emanating from them. John is very emphatic that if we do not love those we see, then it is impossible for us to claim that we love God whom we have not seen. Truly, love is at the heart of it all. Beginning with verse 18, Jesus presents a series of defining standards to his disciples with the words, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I think that it must have been startling to the disciples to hear this change of direction as Jesus is teaching them. Moving in a sentence from loving one another to being hated by the world. But this is the reality that Jesus has experienced throughout his ministry and for which he is endeavoring to prepare his disciples. Jesus gave them a series of parallel factors that had defined his ministry and that would define his true followers. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And then Jesus presented to his disciples what is truly a preeminent, authenticating paradigm. He said to them, Remember the words I spoke to you, No servant is greater than his master. He had spoken those words earlier in the evening when he had washed the feet of his disciples. Setting forth this paradigm, as he 
so his disciples. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. In his first letter, the Apostle Peter wrote, chapter 2 and verse 21, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus is continuing his viability teaching. He hasn't changed his focus. He has simply changed the paradigm. And he presents a paradigm which his disciples are just hours from experiencing, one for which they are unprepared, and in which they will miserably fail. Within this paradigm is a reality that is neither appealing nor acceptable for many so-called followers of Jesus. But it is one that is as old as the history of humanity and profoundly authenticating. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Let's dig a little bit deeper into our understanding of this preeminent authenticating paradigm. You and I can go back in the early stages of the history of humanity to Abel. We can open the Psalms and read the cries of David concerning his persecutors. We can read the experiences of the prophet Jeremiah. We can look at the life of the Messiah Jesus. And we will see the same constant truth. Those who authentically represent the nature and will of God have always experienced animosity. Abel did from his brother Cain. Jeremiah did from the people of Judah. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus had clearly portrayed the root of animosity which manifested itself in those who opposed him. He was in a dialogue with the Jews, having presented one of his significant I am's. I am the light of the world. And that initiated an argument the Jews arguing his legitimacy and Jesus denouncing their claims of legitimacy. And Jesus said to them in verses 42 through 47 of chapter 8, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Here is the root of animosity. It always manifests itself when the truth of God is spoken. Those who believe the lie, those who do not have ears to hear, react against the truth. They cannot embrace it. It is unwelcome. It is offensive. Throughout his ministry, Jesus' representation of the Father's words and will drew the ire and animosity of many. Yet we never find Jesus endeavoring to find a middle ground of acceptability. For him to have done so would have been a betrayal of the one whose nature and will he had come to represent. Again and again we would hear him say, I don't speak on my own. I don't do anything on my own. Why? Because he was the exact representation of the Father. If the world was to know the Father, it could only know him through Jesus representing the Father exactly, exclusively. To do so was the single-minded agenda of Jesus. At stake was a world under condemnation and judgment because of their sin. At the root of that sin was pride and self-will. Empowering that pride and self-will was the lie and the liar or the father of lies. On the other hand, here is Jesus. He is both the antithesis of the lie and the liar, the pride and the self-will, and he is the antidote to the condemnation and the judgment that the world is under. He is the one and only truth and way to the Father. When you and I continue to read through the writings of the apostles, the same paradigm is presented. An other world that is at odds with the present world or culture. A people distinctly identified with Christ because of a new birth that results in a lifestyle that is provocatively at odds with prevailing attitudes.
The Apostle Paul warned in writing to the young pastor Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while persecutors and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So here's the defining truth. There is no compatibility between the perspective of this world and that of the other world. Jesus said to his disciples, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, for I have chosen you out of the world. When you and I turn to the letter written by James, he emphasizes in no uncertain terms to us that to be a friend of this world makes one hostile to God. He said in chapter 4 and verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity? or hostility against God? Therefore, everyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Writing to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul emphasized that it was out of that hostile position that you and I have been reconciled to God. In chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, Paul wrote, Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Once again, there is no compatibility between the perspective of this world and that of the other world into which you and I have been called. For a reborn follower of Christ, his citizenship, identity, and loyalty belongs to heaven. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is drawing a distinction between those who are enemies of the cross and those who are true followers of Jesus Christ. Those who are enemies of the cross have their hearts set on the things of this world, this life. But those who are true followers of Jesus Christ, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his heavenly body. So again, for the reborn follower of Christ, his citizenship, identity, and loyalty 
belongs to heaven. And he is called to represent Christ according to his nature. Just as Christ represented the Father. Contrary to what many Christians believe in today's culture, what they espouse, whether overtly or simply because of spiritual laziness, you and I do not live according to our own inclinations. We are called to represent Christ according to his nature. To be Christ-like. The Apostle Peter wrote to believers who were experiencing the animosity which Jesus had described, urging them to live as foreigners and aliens in this world. In chapter 1, he wrote, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you, when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. By virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, We are born again. Remember what Jesus said. It is impossible for you and I to enter the kingdom of God unless we are reborn or born again, regenerated, made spiritually alive by the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Apostle Paul wrote extensively in passages such as Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 about this transforming work of the Spirit in which we have been given a new nature. We are alive unto the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the ways of Christ, the leading and the working of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the work of, of the Spirit, you and I will do those things that are contrary to the nature of Christ. But enabled, empowered, led, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, you and I will be able to live out the life of Christ through the same Spirit within us who lives in Christ. We will be able to do what is holy. And we will live in a way that is the antithesis of the world's cultures 
and values. Or in the words of the Apostle Peter, as foreigners, as aliens in this present world. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has drawn a clear distinction between the values of the prevailing culture, as did the apostles, and the values of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 24, he said, Make every effort to enter the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to do so. In Matthew chapter 7, he said there are two ways. One is very broad and very accommodating. It is the way of the world. The other is very narrow. It is restrictive. It is exclusionary. And there are few that are on that way. Jesus has emphatically stated that the values of the kingdom of God are neither inclusive nor self-affirming. He emphasized this in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must hate everything. And Jesus named close relationships and associations. Personal identity. Yes, even his own life. And he must take up his cross and follow me. Whether conservative or liberal, inclusionary or nationalistic, whenever the values of a society or a segment thereof become the defining standard for being a follower of Jesus Christ, we have lost our way. Christianity in America has largely lost its way. Whenever we identify in any way with anything, with a future, with a value set, with an identity, apart from Jesus Christ and Him alone, the values of the kingdom and the citizenship of heaven. We have lost our way. We are called to be otherworldly, just as was Jesus and the Father whose truth he represented. Take time to look up these scriptures. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Chapter 8 and verse 23. Chapter 16 and verse 28. Chapter 17, verse 14 and 16. Chapter 18 and verse 36. Jesus is emphatic. Those whom he has chosen have no identity in this world. Just as he and the Father are separate from this world. We are to be otherworldly, just as Jesus and the Father are of another world. If we are truly in Christ, 
the true vine. His life and his likeness will be revealed in us. If his life and likeness in us is truly authentic, it will be at odds with this world and its values. The heart of offensiveness. Jesus said in verse 21, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, Luke records for us, The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. On this night, this last night that Jesus is with his disciples before his death, the disciples would succumb to fear and abysmally fail in their loyalty to Jesus. And Peter, who had declared his superior fidelity, would curse and renounce any association with Jesus. Just a couple of months later, however, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples would be empowered to declare, quote, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven being given to mankind by which we must be saved. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You recall the context. Peter and John had encountered a man who had been crippled for over four decades. They said to him, What we have we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. The man went running and leaping into the temple. The people were astounded. Peter declared to them that the miracle was done in the name of Jesus. The disciples were then brought before the authorities and demanded that they speak no longer in the name of Jesus. But boldly, Peter quoted from the Old Testament and then declared these words, Salvation is found in no other name under heaven, given to mankind, by which we must be saved. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. By their own ability, the disciples fail. Filled with the Spirit of Christ, the disciples boldly asserted the impossibility to not witness to the name of Jesus. In a few sentences, Jesus will say, And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Here we see the disciples. They are filled with the spirit of testimony. And they could no more remain silent in the face of animosity than could Jesus when he encountered it 
during his ministry. To this day, it remains the same. The heart of offensiveness, the root of animosity, is the name of Jesus. There is tolerance, there is even acceptability if he is presented as a prophet or a good teacher. But when he is proclaimed as the narrow way and the singular truth, it is offensive. And yet for you or I not to represent him in this way is to betray him. It is to deceive the souls who are at stake. In Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What a difference has occurred in the disciples. When they were not deeply connected to Jesus, they failed when confronted with animosity and hostility concerning identity with Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they proclaimed as Jesus did, regardless of threats and opposition. Jesus needed his disciples and us to understand that this willingness to speak, coupled with the resulting animosity, is true evidence that one is deeply abiding in Christ, is not of this world, and has a viable and authentic witness. Once again, Jesus needs his disciples and us to understand that this willingness to speak, coupled with the resulting animosity, is true evidence that one is deeply abiding in Christ, is not of this world, is true evidence that a person has a viable and authentic witness. Many years later, the Apostle Peter, who this night would deny over and over any knowledge of Jesus, will out of many subsequent years of finding joy in being counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, write, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, 
It should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. May the same perspective, testimony, and authenticity be true of you and I. A few final thoughts. For many of us, these truths are more hypothetical than they are experiential. We haven't been in circumstances like the apostles or many of our brothers and sisters around the world. We don't actually know what it is to suffer for the name of Christ. Nevertheless, there are important truths here for you and me to take to heart. First of all, we should be encouraged by the fact that we have been given the same spirit of testimony as the apostles. All the power and sufficiency of the Holy Spirit is given to every believer. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. Secondly, before Jesus even spoke of persecution to his disciples, he taught them the foundational importance of abiding. It matters very much that we cultivate a day-by-day -day connection with Jesus, our source of life, spending time in the Word and prayer, discerning what is best. As the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 10, and experiencing the developing fruit of righteousness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 1 verse 11, Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. Learning to live deeply and sacrificially love one another as Christ has loved us. And then thirdly, Jesus taught elsewhere that faithfulness begins with the little things. We first learn to become an overcomer in small matters, like putting to death the misdeeds of the body through the Spirit's power. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Overcoming personal laziness, personal temptations. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The issue at hand, they couldn't even keep watch with him in prayer for just one hour. Small victories lead to bigger victories. Small defeats 
inevitably mean defeat when there is more at stake. Whether it is standing firm under pressure or bearing much fruit to the Father's glory, it all begins with small things. At this point, anyway, you and I have not been entrusted with a testimony for Jesus under the threat of persecution or death. But we have been entrusted with this life of abiding in Jesus, of loving one another to wholeness in Christ, to reconciliation, of building up one another in the Lord to that place when, where we are perfect in Christ, of praying much and praying without ceasing, of being a witness to him and for him, to everyone around us who does not know Christ. Our ability to stand firm for him should greater cost be presented to us will depend upon what we are doing now with what he's entrusted to us. And should you and I never experience persecution, it will still be required of us that we have been faithful in everything which he has entrusted to us. May it be so in each of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Why we should be among those who know you, who have heard your word perhaps thousands of times, when there are so many who have never heard even once. We do not know. We don't know why you have destined us to salvation when there are so many who die every day whose destination is eternity without Christ. While we don't face any persecution, you have given much to us. And to whom much is given, much is required. We pray that we would be faithful to you in all matters. We pray that we would be faithful stewards of the gospel that you have entrusted to us. The spiritual gifts, the ability of building one another up through the enablement of your Holy Spirit, of bringing the witness of Christ to those who do not know you. Of praying in the Spirit about everything and everyone on every occasion. And should you come, Lord Jesus, 
without us ever experiencing the animosity that comes with the offensiveness of your name, especially to the degree that our brothers and sisters do around the world. We pray that in what you have entrusted us with, what you have called us into, and what we've been blessed to receive from you, that we will have been outstandingly faithful. And Father, we pray tonight for our brothers and sisters, wherever they are in this world, who are facing hostility. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Muslim countries who dare to proclaim that Jesus is more than a prophet, but that he is the eternal Son of God and the only way to God through his sacrificial death and resurrection. Father, we pray that they would be encouraged in you, even as they count their lives as nothing. We pray that they would be strengthened in their faithfulness. And may we who are blessed to live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness ever be faithful in praying for them. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will cause it to be effective in making us all that Christ desires we to be as his followers. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.